I'll in, invite you now uh, to kneel with me and let's seek the Lord together so we can get into our study here. But uh, let's seek the Lord and ask Him uh, to bless us, continue to bless us. Please kneel with me if you can. Our Father which art in heaven, oh, hallowed be Thy name. Father, we love You, we praise You, we thank You so much for uh, who and what You are. That You are love, that You are a just God, that You are very merciful, that You are long-suffering. We're so, as the Bible says, stiff-necked. We are so stubborn too often. And we pray that You will forgive us. We thank You so much for Your love and for sending all heaven, essentially, uh, for our salvation. That's the definition of true love, is it not? So, Father, we thank You. We praise You. We praise You for the Sabbath day. We praise You that we can come apart from our physical labors and the common uh, duties of life and that we can spend time together with Thee and sing praises and study Your Word and, and uh, rest from the battles against evil and get a taste of heaven, being with angels from heaven and with the Holy Spirit and those of like faith. And so, Father, we praise You and thank You for this day. And, Father, we thank You for taking care of our needs. As we just sang, You will take care of us. And, Father, we praise Your name for that. And we bring before You as the privilege is to, to lift up and pray for others that we do truly care about. We pray for our friend Chris, uh, the son of our dear friends and, and family, a church family in Battle Creek. Uh, Chris is have he's having difficulties in life, and he's he's uh, needs direction, Father, and he's headed down a wrong path, and he has been for some time. And he was doing so good for about a year. He'd been having drinking problems. He'd been dry for a year, and then now he's back uh, to drinking. And uh, we know, we know, we've come to understand that without without you, we can do nothing. And and uh, we can try all we want to overcome sin, but on our own it will fail. And so we pray and lift up Chris before you and pray that you'll be very near to him and open his heart and mind and let him see with spiritual eyes have his need of the Savior and to give his whole heart to him, Father. And, and please protect him. Keep him safe. And Father, we pray for um, our friends in Florida. Gene and Tammy, who are moving, but uh, we pray that you will continue to be with them and be with Landon, who's been diagnosed with this thyroid uh, issue. We pray that uh, things will be cleared up. Um, help him with his needs. Hard to make a living when you're injured. Uh, we pray for my wife's cousin Gary and his wife Marcy, who has a they have an incredible decision to make, uh, Lord, and we pray that you will guide and direct them at that. And our dear friend Barb. Um, who has this issue with bleeding. Father, we pray that it will be discovered very, very soon. Um, we love Barb dearly, and she's a good worker, uh, Lord, for the gospel. And and also, Lord, we ask that you will help us with finances, uh, with Deb's um, dental issues. I have some myself, uh, you know, but uh, and, uh, and I need to have my eyes checked. <laughs> Father, we lay this before your feet, and we pray for your divine blessing. And please be with me now as we continue our study. Give me the words to speak that you wish conveyed to the congregation. And may we all study to show ourselves approved, Lord. And Father, please forgive us our sins, which are so many.
We claim the blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary. Um, please, Lord, forgive us and help us to be overcomers and to keep this day holy, for Thou art holy. We pray in Jesus' blessed name, for He is oh so worthy. Sound issues? Mm -hmm. Testing one, two, three. Testing what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just on the lapel mic. Let me try something here. Testing one, two, three. Can you hear me now? Testing one, two, three. Okay, so my, very good. My lapel mic is working. I thought I'd get away from the pulpit mic and see. But it's shut, it should be shut off. I apologize, friends. I apologize for that. Uh, again, I've entitled this message, this is part two, of God's Checks and Balances. And as I, as I said before, uh, and I said before this morning that we need to take this in the context, this studies in the context of not only who and what the church is, but more in context of organization. If you find that you've studied and we've gone through the characteristics of God's church versus the, the characteristics of Antichrist's church, um, you find that your church, your organization that you happen to be a member of, that you've covenanted to be a, a member of, does not line up with the characteristics of God's true church. What do you do? And there are some steps that you you are biblically required to to try to um, in some way to take care of. And this is no matter where you are. These are God's checks and balances on dealing with sin within the church, dealing with sin. Period. When someone sins against you, and but our context is how do you deal with sin in the church? In essence. And so we've been going through this. And in part one, we began to look at some of the biblical principles on how to correctly deal with, with sin in the church. And I want to emphasize uh, that these principles deal with those who are in the church, not those who are not members. For the church has no authority over unbelievers. Now, we can stand up and call sin by its right name, but we're dealing with how you, you, um, how you react towards sin in the church. We looked at an example of how open sin was dealt with in the church by the Apostle Paul. This Again, this is in part one. We looked at the biblical principle Paul laid out to Timothy on how to deal with open sin within the church. We also looked at how God dealt with secret sin within the church and the instructions he gave Joshua on how to search out sin within the congregation when God's frown is upon the organization. His frown is upon his people. There's something going on. There is sin in the congregation. You know, grievous sin. One that would be a detriment to the entire church. Not that sin isn't. But uh, we saw that with uh, Joshua and Achan. And I have a lot to share with you. And I want to get started by looking at biblical principle we are to use when someone trespasses uh, against us personally. Now that could be um, well, not necessarily in public, you know. Others may not know about it, uh, but uh, but they have done this against you personally. Uh, 
And this principle uh, is found throughout the Bible, but I primarily want to, to look at the one, the example that Jesus has given us that we find in Matthew chapter 18. And friends, I'll tell you that uh, when we were members of the other, you know, the, the Adventist conference, I had to uh, regularly bring this principle out because most of the congregation and they had they they either didn't know how to deal with it were indifferent to it uh, but mainly they didn't know the process or they would do it out of order they do it and and it make things worse and so um, what I have found is that and another reason why bringing this to your attention is uh, people misunderstand it or misapply it and they don't do it in the you know, they don't judge righteous judgment, as Jesus told us in Matthew seven twenty four. Uh, and so, let's go to Matthew 18. And in particular, you know, the verses we're going to be dealing with are verses 15 to 18. Okay? And let's see what Jesus is saying to us here. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass, trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take you know, with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall... Loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is his, uh, what Jesus is saying to the church. Whatever the church shall bind on earth, it's going to be agreed to in heaven. Okay? If you follow the instructions given. See? So we're going to break this down so that we're not confused. Hopefully, we won't be confused in any way. I mean, after all, I think a mistake in following this instruction could cost someone their eternal life. And... Uh, uh, maybe even our own. And so we need to follow uh, not just these principles, but any principle. We need to have a rightly divide the word of truth, do we not? And to live the truth. But to obey the Lord and to rightly divide it and to carry it out in the correct way that we are instructed to. And so, let's begin with verse 15. Jesus says here, He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, first we see that this principle deals primarily, as I mentioned before, with church brethren and not between believers and uh, unbelievers. Now, having said that, while I encourage you to approach an unbeliever who has personally sinned against you, uh, in an attempt to work things out, I have to tell you that the church has no authority in that matter. So it's not like you, you know your neighbor sins against you and you go and you tell him his fault and he ignores you. You're going to go get two, you know, church members and go see your neighbor again. Okay. Now you can try that. I'm not telling you 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 can't. What I'm telling you is the church may even decide. You may take it to the church. You know, I know certain instances where this has happened and it's just it's out of place. And what, what has happened because that has been carried out is the neighbor has put up a complete wall not to be hear any kind of witness. See? 
And so the point is, uh, Jesus here, he's talking to us as church members, as members of the body of Christ. We must always strive, see, to live peaceably with all people. And sometimes this may mean personally living with the wrong that's been done to us. But, the counsel Jesus has given in the Gospels is specifically for his believers. Isn't it? The household of God. Now I want to break down some of these words here. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. The word trespass is Strong's number 264. It's the Greek word harmatanio. Harmatanio. Let me pronounce it correctly. Harmatanio. Which means to miss the mark. Trespass. It means to miss the mark, to err, to be mistaken, to wander from the law of God, to violate God's law, sin, to offend. I think we get the picture here, don't we? And it says, if he trespasses against thee, go and tell him his fault. Well, the word tell is Strong's number 1651. It is the Greek word, el engenko. El engenko. I'm having a terrible time reading here this morning. It's elenko. <laughs> I'll get it right. Elenko. I can't even pronounce it. It's, well, I can't even... Well, if I spell it, it's still... <laughs> L ink go. How's that? L ink go. That's just always been a tough word for me. I don't know why. It just is. Uh, so when you tell here, what's more important isn't the, the, <laughs> the pronunciation. What's most important is the definition of the word, isn't it? So when, when Jesus says to go and tell him, what he's saying is to go and refute or confute, to call to account, to show him his fault. Or, you know, to demand an explanation even. that's All that is in the Greek word there. Uh, el go. And so, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, okay, he has sinned against you, he's offended God's law, or he's offended you, he's violated God's law, etc. Go and tell him. Demand an explanation. Bring him to account. Or show it to him. He may not even know that he had done it, see? And we'll get into that a little bit later on as we study this out. We have a responsibility to do this. We can't be indifferent about it. See? Now, he says, if he shall hear thee. What's that word hear mean? Well, we may, you know... That may be a misunderstood thing. It's Strong's number 191. It's the Greek word, akuo. And it means to consider what is or has been said. Pretty simple, isn't it? But some people get confused by that. So if he, if he considers what you're saying to him, is what Jesus is saying, you've gained your brother. Right? So... Let's look at this again. Knowing these definitions, let's read the verse again. Let's plug in the meanings of the word. This is what I'm going to do. And, and, and it, it helps me when I do this. It helps me to have a better understanding of what's being said here. So Jesus is saying, he says in verse 15, he says, Moreover, if a church member or a believer shall sin or offend thee, go and call to account his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall consider what is or has been said, thou hast gained thy brother. If he considers it, okay. Now he may consider it and say, "No, I haven't done that." He may reject what you're saying, 
And this is why Jesus goes on, see? But this is, a, this is to be a private matter between the two of you only. Okay? So, to circulate reports concerning what thy brother may have done is out of place. It's going to make it more difficult. Sometimes it makes it impossible to reach him. It makes things, you know, to make things right between you. Um, and I'd say here, perhaps more than in any other aspect of, you know, our personal relationships, it's our privilege to apply the golden rule. You know what the golden rule is, right? And so the, the less publicity that's given to a wrong act, the better. This is what Jesus is led, you know, uh, uh, telling us. This is what his instructions are. Now, what happens if the person rejects your appeal? Let's say he does listen to you, he hears what you're saying, but he rejects it. Says it's not right. Well, Jesus gives our answer in the next verse. Look at verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, so he can outright refuse to even meet with you, or he may hear what you bring to him and he just doesn't, no, he's not going to hear you. Jesus says, then take thee with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Okay, what's, he, what's Jesus saying here? Let's break it down just a bit. If he will not hear thee. Again, that is, if he's not going to admit his wrongdoing. If he's not going to change his course of action, you know, and make it right, um, you know, as far as possible. Make right the, the wrongs of the past. Then take, Jesus says, take, uh, one or two more, and try to tell him again. See? He may think you're out of your mind, but if other people have witnessed him doing this, you need to take them with you, see? Uh, which gets into the, the, the one or two more. They are presumably uh, not involved personally and are therefore, they would be, if you consider that, you, they'd be in a better position to express an unbiased opinion. Uh, and to counsel that offending brother. In case the offending brother neglects to heed their admonition, they can bear witness to the efforts that have been put forth on, you know, on his behalf and also the facts in the case in the next step. So see, it, it's, this, is, this is kind of like, if you, you want to look at it that way, um, you could see some aspects of a judicial review. You're bringing in, so there's, there's been an accusation. You bring in and bring that accusation to, you know, you're, you're telling this person that, you know, you were seen doing this or you've done this to me or whatever it may be. That he rejects that, you bring in the witnesses. Now, they're credible witnesses and they're to be unbiased witnesses if, you know, if we can be truly unbiased um, and if, if he still rejects it, you know. Um, and as Jesus said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And, and uh, uh, there's a lot of history of this principle. You know, according to the Hebrew law, no man might be punished on the testimony of just one witness. And it's well to remember also that there are two sides to every disagreement, isn't there? So both must have a fair hearing before a decision can be reached. And when you come to this person, I mean, I, I know what somebody's come to me, 
you want to see that there's fair play in the process, in most cases, the, the, the person's going to react and that they're just not going to listen to you. You know, they don't think it's fair. And this is what Jesus is laying out. He's laying out a fair process here. And this is, uh, friends, this is a process of reconciliation. This is how I see it. To reconcile the differences, to be right with God, and to be in one accord. Okay? And so what happens if the person continues to reject the counsel? You go to them between he, him and thee alone. He doesn't hear you. Or he doesn't change his course of action. Or he rejects what you've brought. You take two, three witnesses. They listen to the process again. They may have seen it. Who knows? They're credible witnesses. They're unbiased. It's, it's fair. But yet he rejects again. What do you do? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 17, Matthew 18, verse 17. It says, If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man, he says, and a publican. Now let's break these words down, because it's going to help us to understand the process here. The word neglect there says, And if he shall neglect to hear them, well, that word neglect is Strong's 3878. It's the Greek word parakuo or some say, I've heard say, parakuo, but I think it's pronounced parakuo, which means to refuse to hear, to pay no regard to, or disobey. Okay? Which means, again, continue in their course. <laughs> no changes. And of course the word their church, when he says take it to the church, well the church is Strong's number 1575, it's the Greek word ecclesia. And it means an assembly of Christians uh, gathered for worship in a religious meeting according to the, you know, the regulations prescribed for the body for, to be in order, gospel order, organization, ecclesia. You're gathered together in an organized body. And so... What I want to bring to your attention here, when we're mentioning the church here, Ecclesia, the reconciliation process here that Jesus is laying out in Matthew 18, uh, starts at the local level, where believers act in their corporate capacity. And how do we know it starts at the local level? Because he says, go to your brethren between he and thee alone. That's local. And if he rejects you, he says, you don't go out you know, if, you, if you're in Indiana where we are and, and there's a problem someone sinned against me and I go to them and they reject me, I don't go out to California and grab a couple people as witnesses or to Michigan or Florida and bring them in. It's a local level. Now, it may escalate, you know, escalate to such a thing. And we'll get into some of these other uh, avenues here in just a few moments. But primarily, it's a, it's a local, it starts at the local level where the church will act in their corporate capacity at the local level. So if the person refuses to hear you and the witnesses, you're to tell it all to the local church body in meeting and like a business type of session. And what happens with that, see, is the responsibility of what you're doing is then passed to the body of believers as a whole at the local level 
uh, uh, first, and they are to speak to the person and then judge righteously in the matter. But if a person refuses to consider what the church says in the matter, then Jesus says, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. We had an instance in our church where it went through this whole course. And the person was invited, it was taken to the church, the church, he was the, the person was invited to the church as it was brought to the church to give his side whatever he wanted to do and the person refused to even come to the, to the church. So then you're forced to take the next step. He's not hearing you, see? And Jesus says, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Well, what does that mean? People will misunderstand that, misdefine that, and they behave towards the person in, in a way that they shouldn't behave. So what does that mean? Well, the word heathen is Strong's 1482. That's the number. And it's the Greek word ethnikos. Ethnikos. Which means alien to the worship of the true God. It means pagan or Gentile. It's been used in that, in that way as well. So when he says, let him be unto thee as a heathen, he's saying he doesn't worship the true God anymore. You're to, 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 to uh, consider that person as a Gentile, as a pagan, as an unbeliever. The word publican is Strong's number 5057, and it's the Greek word telenes. And it means tax gatherer, collector of taxes or tolls. Now, why would Jesus say, let him be unto thee as a heathen, well, we understand that to mean an unbeliever, and a publican? Why would he say publican? A publican was a tax gatherer, a collector of taxes, somebody who collected tolls. What were tax collectors considered at that time? <laughs> many of them, many people consider him the same today. You know, but at that time, the tax collectors were, as a class of people, they were detested, not only by the Jews, but by other nations, both on a, a, you know account of their employment and of the harshness or the greed and deception which they did their job. So this is what they did back then. Today it's so regulated, but we're finding out more and more and more of the corruption that's involved. It's the same back then. Tax collectors would go and let's say the the tax levy was uh, really 2%, but they'd go and they'd collect 4% and they'd keep 2% of it, see? It's completely corrupt. So, you know, greed, they were greedy, they were harsh, they didn't care about the people involved. They were deceptive. So Jesus is saying that the person is to be considered as one who is an unbeliever who has outwardly and openly rejected Christ. They are removed from membership. And that information, by the way, can be passed along to all the churches by letter uh, um, of the clerk of that church to all the other church clerks. Because the whole idea is to protect the body of Christ. Protect the local church. Protect the sisterhood of churches. And that's one of the big difficulties we have today when we're scattered out and around and we have our little home churches and we have uh, you know, little churches scattered around and there's no organization. You can't just organize at the local level. 
We're going to get into more of these principles as we study about organization in uh, in the coming uh, weeks ahead. But uh, I don't want to get too sidetracked. But um, and so when Jesus says, "Let him be unto thee as a heathen," that's an unbeliever, a publican. You know, uh, this doesn't mean that the person is to be despised or neglected. Our counsel is that efforts are to be put forth for that member as for any non-member. However, friends, there are some things we've got to consider in this respect. In working for a person who has uh, severed themselves from the church, we are to beware of associating with them in such a way as to make it appear that they share, that you share their point of view or participate with them in unrepentant evil course of action. That's what it'll be look like. In other words, you're not to associate with them. Remember Paul said, remember when uh, we studied in, in uh, uh, the, the example of where the church member was um, having relations with his father's mother. It wasn't his mother, it was his father's wife, but uh, I'm sorry, his father's wife. Did I say mother? <laughs> the guys, <laughs> pardon me. He was having relations with his father's wife, and it wasn't his mother. Just so we're clear, there it wasn't the young man's mother, but it was his father's wife. And not only did all the church know, they even let him participate in the communion. And what was it that Paul said? He's to be removed. You're not to associate with him. You're not even to have you know supper with him. You're not even to have any. The only uh, uh, association you're to have with him is to call him to repentance. And this is the principle here, see. So if a person is removed from church or their disfellowship, the only association you're to have to them is to be compassionate towards them as an unbeliever, someone who has rejected Christ, and calling them to repentance. Now, there are different avenues of how you do that, different methods, but you can't go and be their, quote, friend and hang out with them and go do things with them, knowing that this is their position. Because what happens is, you virtually sustain them in their sinful course. And not just that, they become hardened to it, but not just that, then your witness comes into um, into play and your witness will be doubted. See, you, you look, will look like you support this person, that you share their point of view, or that you participate with them in their, their sin. See? And this is where the church fails many, many, many times. Because we, we are compassionate people. We have emotions. We love people. We like to be social. When somebody has been removed from the church, you just can't treat them like you used to treat them. As one in Christ with you. Dangerous for you. Dangerous for them. Dangerous for others who see uh, what you're doing. Now, there are cases where a person's behavior may be serious enough to call for an expression of disapproval, um, but not removal from membership, at least not yet. And this disapproval is expressed by what is called a vote of censure. And censure, when you censure someone, it has a twofold purpose. First, to enable the church to express its disapproval of a grievous offense that is brought disgrace upon the cause of God. 
Okay. And second, to impress the offending member with the need to amend their life and reform their conduct. Also, to extend to the individual a period, you give them a grace period and probation during which these steps might be taken. I'll give you just a real quick example. You know, maybe they have fallen away. Maybe they, maybe they were, something has happened in their life and let's say they started smoking, for example. Well, this could call forth, uh, you know, a, a, an act of censure. The person used to smoke before they came to Christ. They came to know Christ. They quit smoking. They're members, and something's happened. They've, you know, somehow fallen away a little bit, and they begin smoking again. And you see them smoking. You can approach them. There, you know, you get into a situation where they can be censured for it. See, I'm just throwing that out as an example. But. This idea of censuring is biblical. We see a type of this in the account of Miriam that we find in Numbers chapter 12. We're going to go there in just a moment if you want to uh, search for that right now. Numbers chapter 12. If you recall, Miriam spoke against Moses because she was jealous of his wife's influence with him. And then she got her brother Aaron involved. What happened with Aaron was Remember what I talked about before that you're not to associate in such a way with someone who's been removed? Here's someone who's, who, who's in a wrong course of action. Aaron sympathizes with his sister, see? Instead of warning her of her jealousy, he sympathizes with her and he becomes an offender as well. Numbers 12. Yes. So see... Aaron and Miriam, they uh, regarded themselves as equally favored by God. And so they felt that they were entitled to the same position and authority as Moses. And the Lord heard them both. They heard what they... The Lord knows everything, doesn't He? He heard what they were saying. And so He strikes Miriam down with leprosy. Now Aaron was spared, but he was severely rebuked by Miriam's punishment of being struck down by leprosy. However, Aaron confessed their sin and entreated that his sister might not be left to perish. And in answer to the prayers of Moses, the leprosy was cleansed, but Miriam was removed. And here, here's the principle of censure. Miriam was removed from her duties and placed outside the camp for a time. She was censured. Numbers 12, verses 14 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And so, here's the thing we see here with this. Not until Miriam was removed from the encampment, friends, did the symbol of God's favor against again rest upon the tabernacle. She had to be censured. She had to be removed from the camp for a while. Now, I'm talking about the principle here. Okay, The principle of censuring. I'll explain in just a moment what I mean by that. But here, the manifest, manifestation of the Lord's displeasure was designed to be a warning, you see, to all of Israel to check the growing spirit of discontent and insubordination. So the Lord acted, and she had to be removed. Even though the prayers of Moses 
God heeded the prayers and in mercy took the leprosy from her. She had to be removed from the camp. It was an, it was an example, see. If Miriam's envy and dissatisfaction had not been rebuked by God, right away it would have resulted in tremendous evil. So Miriam was removed for seven days and not she wasn't permanently disfellowshipped from the congregation, see. She wasn't stoned. She was censured. She was put on probation. And so, today, how does that relate to us today? Well, an erring member may be placed under censure by a vote of the church body. A vote of censure is normally for a stated period of time, just like it was with Miriam, and it depends on what the action is. Usually it's, I've seen it from time to time, from a month, uh, could be a month to a year. I've seen it up to a year. It just depends on what's going on. But it's the local church, see, that's where it starts at. And a person under censure is to be removed from any church offices that they may hold, just as Miriam was. A member under censure has no right to participate uh, you know, by uh, voice or um, uh, by vote in the affairs of the church. They can't have any public part in any outreach efforts. Neither may the individual's membership be transferred to another church during the period of censure. Well, I'm just going to leave and go to another church. And that's what happens today. That's why we're kind of in the mess we're in. But even though this is the case, they are not deprived of the privilege of sharing the blessings of, you know, Sabbath school or church worship or, or even the ordinances. Just depends on the situation, though, friends. They still believe in Jesus. They may be having, a, uh, you know, a hard time. Let's say in my smoking example, they may be having a hard time quitting. But until they quit, they can't participate in any of the church, you know, uh, functions as you know, outreach or vote or anything. But they can come to Sabbath school. They can worship with each other. And in such a case, even though they have a willing heart and they're trying to overcome this thing, they could participate in ordinances because they love the Lord. In some cases they can. It just depends on what it is and what the church has decided. You see, the important thing to realize is that a vote of censure must not carry any provision involving you know, a removal of their church membership in case they fail to comply with the conditions. Because, I mean, not right off the bat, necessarily. What can happen in that case is it could lead to an undue hardship for that person and discouragement and they would just quit altogether. See? So while the church can be compassionate in a certain extent, to a certain extent, they have to abide by what's uh, right for the church, what the Lord deems is necessary. To be an example of that person, to repent and to give them time to overcome those things, but also witness to the world that, hey, we don't agree with what they're doing. We're not kicking them out. We love them and we're trying to draw them back into the body. You know, the one that's being censured should be helped in such a way to foster change, but not in a way to show sympathy for their position. That's what I'm saying. And the idea is to bring them to repentance in a loving and patient way, but not excusing the wrong course or giving sympathy to their case but being long-suffering like our God is long-suffering when we're trying to overcome. 
If they have a will to overcome, we're to try to help them to overcome. Whatever that habit may have been, whatever it may be. To be accountable. You know, I've been uh, an accountability, you hear here today in some circles when you're counseling people, an accountability partner to help someone to, to stay on the path. I say they quit smoking, but they keep getting tempted and you're there to, to help them along, see. And again, like I'm saying, it depends on situations. And so that's at the local church le- level. Well, what happens when they come to the end of their, their probation, let's say, or their time? Well, then there's a proper official inquiry uh, made at the end of that time by, you know, usually it would be the elders, deacons and elders, pastor. You want to see whether that that person that's under discipline has changed their course. If they have had the victory, and if they have changed, then they're they're considered from that point on a, a member in regular standing. But if they haven't, then the case should again be considered. And discipline administered as is biblically required. It may say, well, it may, it may take a little more time. Or they may just totally reject it and say, you know, I'm done. I'm still going to continue that. And then you move on with disfellowship. I want to bring to your attention, in case you just, you know, you haven't considered it yet, removing an individual from membership in the church is always a serious matter. <laughs> it is the ultimate, friends, in discipline that the church can administer. It is the extreme measure that can be meted out by the church and it needs to be taken very seriously and it needs to be handled patiently if we can. Some courses you can't be patient with it. It's got to be done. But only after the instruction given in Scripture has been followed and after all possible efforts have been made to win and restore that person to a right path is that type of discipline to be used. Let's go back to Matthew 18. Let's look at what Jesus said in verse 18. He said, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Heaven's ratification of the decision by the church on earth will take place only if the decision is made. And this is what I, what I said before, alluded to before. If the church is in harmony with the principles of heaven. It's not like whatever the church says goes... No, it's whatever decision has been made by the church using righteous principles that have been given to us. And all, all of us who deal with erring brethren should always remember that we are dealing with the eternal destiny of souls and that the results of this work may well be eternal. It is a serious matter and one that cannot be treated you know, indifferently, which happens a lot today. We see it in the fallen churches. Just indifferent, that's why they're fallen. They're indifferent to sin. So that's that's one part of that. I want to share another principle that goes along with this one that we find in Matthew 18, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. I need to move along here. Jesus says here, He says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, 
and then come and offer thy gift. Uh, again, let's get some definitions here. That word ought. You know, he says, uh, and there remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. The word ought is Strong's number 5100, and it is the Greek word tis, very short word, tis. It means certain, something, somewhat. He's got some something against you. There's He's got somewhat against you, a certain thing against you, see. And the word reconciled there, he says, first be reconciled to thy brother. What's that mean, reconciled? That's Strong's 1259. It's the Greek word Dialasso, which means to change thoroughly or conciliate. To change thoroughly. And so here Jesus, he's speaking, and remember Matthew 5 here, this is the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? And I think those who listened to the Sermon on the Mount no doubt understood brother, as he says, a brother hath offended you, you know, or has ought against thee, that to them it referred to a fellow Jew. To Christians, he'd be a fellow Christian, Right? The term is rightly understood as designating those with whom we are closely associated with in one way or another. A brother. But Christ later, you know, made it clear that uh, humanity are all brethren, aren't they? We're brothers, regardless of race or creed. And so, the idea is to try to reconcile with everyone, even those who, you know, Jesus said we're to love our enemies, Right? And so you try to reconcile, you try to live peaceably with all men. This is a part of the, you know, this understanding of having love one towards another, but specifically speaking of brother as in the church. Remember what we brought up before? Take it to the church, okay? Well, he's speaking primarily is uh, to... Uh, it's Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. All right. Well, I'm explaining. I'm going through the definitions here. I've just going through the definitions, but um, now the act of offering a uh, get my thought back here. I'm okay. I'm sorry. Um, the act of offering a personal gift or sacrifice was considered to be, you know, since Abraham's time. Well, even Adam and Eve. When you, when you had that sacrifice, it was considered to be among the most holy and important of all religious acts that you, you did. But even it must take second place under these circumstances that Jesus is bringing forth here. It's possible that um, the gift here mentioned was a sacrifice made even to secure a forgiveness, divine forgiveness, or divine favor. Which shows the importance of being reconciled with one's brother in the faith first. You know, Jesus insists that men must take must make things right with their fellow men before they can be reconciled with God. Isn't that true? We're to forgive others, or God cannot forgive us. So Jesus is telling us that reconciliation is more important than sacrifice here. You know, the living, the living out of. Christ-like principles in the life is it's a far greater value in the sight of God than practicing the forms of religion, isn't it? I want to share with you uh, something from Ministry of Healing, page 485. In speaking about these verses, notice what the prophet says. She says, Do all that lies in your power 
without the sacrifice of principle to conciliate others. Okay? So Jesus, he's not saying here, you know, leave the gift at the altar and go reconcile your brother at all costs. He's saying, by not sacrificing principle, try to reconcile and then come back. Now, there are a couple of other things to consider in regard to these principles that we're, we're learning here in Matthew 5 and, and 18. And I think, to begin with, to begin with we need to be clear about some things. Um, and, 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 and they're like logistics. I look at them as logistical things. Uh, the first deals with the time element involved, such as when do you take witnesses with you, you know, or when do you take it to the church, etc., those kinds of things. When do you go to him? And the second thing that we want to consider has to do with how uh, you contact the person that's sinned against you, how you start the process uh, outlined by the Lord. And, and really, you know, it may sound monotonous or straightforward, but some people, believe it or not, don't understand this. So let's look at it. Let's look at the time element. Let's go back to Matthew 18 and look at verse 15. Jesus said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, he says, Go. Okay? He's saying, Go, and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. I think by looking at this, it would seem that the timing of when to go to the erring brother is left up to the individual. Uh, who's been trespassed against, at least to some degree. But it is clear, friends, that the person who is wronged is required to tell the brother his fault at some time. He cannot just forget about it and let it go, you know, say, oh, I'm not going to go to him, and I'll tell you why. This is why it's a requirement that you have to go and tell him his fault. To not go to your brother just may cause them to continue sinning and thus they will lose their salvation, first of all. Okay. To not go may just put their blood on the hands of the one who neglected his duty in approaching the erring one. Remember the principle uh, we've looked at before, Ezekiel 33. Look at verse 6. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people not be warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. It's a principle, friend. So if someone sins against you, it needs to be brought to their attention. You can't just say, uh, I'm just going to take it and not worry about it. Well, what about the next person? What about that person? That person's in their sin. So Jesus says here, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. We are required to tell them. We are required to go. So when is the person to be approached? Looking at Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, again we read, Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, he says. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. This gives us some insight, I think, into the timing question. 
We can see that we are to go to the brother as soon as possible, is what it appears to be, right? Before we offer our gift to the Lord, or our gift will not be acceptable. Considering that, we meet with the Lord each Sabbath day, it would make sense that these efforts to reconcile be done, if at all possible, before the Sabbath comes. In fact, the prophet gives us that counsel. From Review and Herald article, The Value of Christlike Love, July 21st, 1904, the prophet says, When difficulties arise among church members, let them be cleared away before the Sabbath comes. This should be regarded as a Christian duty by every church member. So, the sooner you approach the one who is in sin, who has trespassed against you, the better. And before the Sabbath, I'd say, is the ideal. We don't want uh, the one who is in sin to go to his grave before he has been approached by us for this. Uh, that could have dire consequences, couldn't it? Possibly. Notice this, Desire of Ages, page 441. Christ's instruction as to the treatment of the erring repeats in more specific form the teaching given to Israel through Moses. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor that thou bear not sin for him. That is, if one neglects the duty Christ has enjoined of trying to restore those who are in error and sin, he becomes a partaker in the sin. We studied this about corporate responsibility, didn't we? For evils that we might have checked, we are just as responsible as if we were guilty of the acts ourselves. That is very strong language, friends. We need to understand that. <coughs> if you were on the verge of losing your eternal life and were unaware of such, I mean, I think of when uh, Nathan came to David and said, Thou art the man. So, if you're unaware of such, and yet there was someone who knew how to help you but neglected to do it, and you found out about them, after it was too late, let's say, how would you feel about it? Wouldn't you want that person to speak up or wish they would have and help you? I'll tell you, I'd be upset that there was someone who could have helped me but chose not to. Well, maybe that's something I need to overcome. But <laughs> I'll tell you this, there are going to be millions who will be lost because of false shepherds acting as dumb dogs that wouldn't bark and warn them of what's coming. This is we read in Ezekiel 33. And these lost souls will turn upon those false shepherds to destroy them. That's what we're, we read in God's Word. If we truly have a love for Jesus, friends, we will love each other enough to attempt reconciliation, will we not? It takes courage. We've got to do it. Let's go on. The next question regarded timing is, is when is step two, let's say, of Matthew 18 to be carried out? And step three, when is that to be carried out, etc.? Well, the answer is in Matthew 18, verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then, Jesus says, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If the brother will not listen or refuses to listen, the scripture says, then the next step is to be taken. And considering the scriptures we've already looked at, the next step is to be taken as soon as possible. Not hastily, friends, but as soon as possible just as the first step is to be taken, you know, as soon as you can. Now, I want you to notice that the scriptures, that scripture there does not say that we are to keep going alone and trying and trying and trying until he listens. It says if he refuses to hear, then take witnesses. And the same is true if he refuses to hear you with witnesses. You don't keep trying and trying and trying with witnesses until he listens. 
And if he refuses to hear the church, you don't keep trying and trying and trying until he listens before you take the next step. I mean, there's a point where it becomes very obvious he's not going to change his way, he's not going to listen, and you have to take the next step. If he shall, and if he shall not hear them, if he shall fail to hear them, tell it under the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And friends, the sooner this is carried out, the sooner the erring can be saved from his sin, or the sooner sin is removed from the camp, and God can again bless as he, we saw there in the, the, the example of Miriam. Now, I've been asked before, uh, on occasion, if it's possible to move too quickly, or if it's possible to move too slowly. And I suppose it can, but I don't believe so if this process is carried out by faith exactly as it's laid out by the Lord. It's always possible to move too fast or too slow if one's not listening to or obeying the Holy Spirit. Um, so the first thing we've got to do, as James says, is to submit ourselves to God and obey God. Isn't that right? I will tell you that Jesus gave us this process and it's set up to protect all parties involved. It guards against a leader taking matters into his own hands to remove a, a, a person from membership unjustly. Uh, for if you look at it, the final decision falls upon the church, not the leader. It protects the erring one in that they have an opportunity to plead their case. If they don't take the opportunity, then they are not hearing the brother. They're not hearing the witnesses. They're not hearing the church. If they refuse to hear the church, then, as Ellen White says in letter 215, to retain them would be an insult to the God of heaven. If a person has been removed from membership, let's say they've been disfellowshipped, i got to tell you, then different principles are to be followed to reconcile them. Jesus said that they are to be treated as a heathen man and a publican. Again, that's it. this means that, that they are to be treated as unbelievers and as those who have outwardly and openly rejected Christ. There is to be no fellowship with them other than to help them see their need of repentance, to draw them to Christ, to draw them to His law, to see their need for a Savior. Friends, we've got to be careful not to sympathize with their condition, for this will make it near impossible to convince them of their wrong course and repent. It will harden them in it. I've seen it. In Testimonies to the Church, Volume 1, page 213, Many souls have been destroyed by their brethren unwisely sympathizing with them when their only hope, get that, only hope was to be left to see and realize the full extent of their wrongs. False sympathizers have worked in direct opposition to the mind of Christ and ministering angels. Isn't that remarkable? And I will tell you now, to remain separate also applies to the person's family members as well if they have sided with the erring one. Again, I'll refer you to the examples of Achan and Korah. In Joshua 7, verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. 
Achan died because of his unrepentant sin, friends. His family perished with him because they chose to stand with their husband and their father even though he was wrong and unrepentant. That's what happened. They become a partaker of his sins. You read there number 16, verses 27. And and onward you see where uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they were destroyed. And his family. As well as Dathan, Abiram, and their families. They died because they sided with their husband and father and their sins. Thus they become a partaker of the same, friends. Each one of them made a choice. They weren't forced into it. That's why it was carried out on the rest of the family. But not all of Korah's children died. We learned that before. Numbers 26.11 Notwithstanding the children of Korah died not. Because they decided not to go along with Korah. They repented and removed themselves. Now another question to consider that I brought to you of the two. The timing of it. And uh, now how you contact the erring one. And here the scriptures um, friends seem to leave it up to the individual who's been wronged. Now, while I believe that meeting eye to eye is the ideal, uh, I don't believe that it is a biblical requirement. The idea is to contact the person in some way and not to neglect doing it. That's the important thing. I mean, the apostles, they sent letters of rebukes to the churches and to people. Today we can use letters, the telephone or video or email or texting or whatever to contact someone, maybe to set up the meeting, etc. It isn't the method, I don't believe, of communication, um, but the principle that needs to be focused and whether the principle is being strictly adhered to. Has the erring one been contacted in some way? Now sometimes people don't get their emails. Sometimes they miss phone calls. So... You know, you've got to be sure that they've been contacted and they've responded. But once they have been contacted in whatever, um, in whatever way the process has been of reconciliation has, been, uh, has begun. Now, you know, some may look at these principles as being too harsh. But we've got to remember that Jesus commanded this procedure to be carried out when the circumstances called for it. And we must remember, too, that the ultimate goal is to have reconciliation and unity among members of the church and, in our context, protect the church from division, from falling. And following these principles will ensure just that. And and may also show the erring one their true spiritual condition and thus snatch a soul from the fire, friends. These counsels are, in reality, principles of compassion. But many people look at them as a necessary evil. It's actually an act of love. And what we've looked at are God's checks and balances. And beloved, there is a reason why these different circumstances are to be handled differently. And it has to do with keeping potential damages to the church and the people involved, those people involved, to a minimum so that our witness and their chances at eternal life are not destroyed. The world is watching God's people. Do you believe that? They do. They watch us see how we react to sin and temptation. Notice this from Acts of the Apostles, page 550. Unbelievers are watching to see if the faith of professed Christians is exerting a sanctifying influence upon their lives. 
and they are quick to discern the defects in character, the inconsistencies in action. Because they'll use that as an excuse, see. And if we wish to reach the world with the truth as it is in Jesus, then we must be consistent in living the truth, amen? We must be consistent in dealing with sin within the church, amen? This is part of proper church organization, friends. The church was organized for service, and it becomes impossible to serve others if sin is allowed to remain unchecked. The only service that will be done, well, if that happens, is uh, service to self. Make no mistake, the world is watching God's professed people. And when sin is not called by its right name within the church and dealt with that it is supposed to be dealt with, then we make a mockery of our profession, friends, and we bring, um, we bring reproach upon ourselves. We bring reproach upon the cause of God. The world will see the church as a den of hypocrites, having no power of a changed life as a testimony of God's power to save. Who would want to be a part of that? Because ultimately, friends, I believe that most people in the world, they want to be saved. If they saw the devil for who he was, they, would, they wouldn't accept him. But they've got to see Jesus in us. So friends, does your heart ache because there is sin in the church of God? Do you wish for it to stop? The first thing that must be realized is that the cleansing of sin from the church must start within each one of us first. And foremost. We must give ourselves fully to Jesus. Give Him... Give Him our hearts. Have Him cleanse us from all defilement. If sin is to be removed from the church, it must begin with each of us, friends. Apostle John says in 1 John 1, verse 6-9, I'll close up with this. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light. Notice it's not stand in the light. It's walk in the light. As He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First, friends, we've got to give ourselves to Jesus and trust His Word. Second, ask for the grace of Jesus to call sin by its right name. And then, friends, use God's checks and balances as described in His Word here that we've looked at to deal with sin in the church. If we do this, then God's frown will be removed from His people, and there will be such a revival a revival of primitive godliness that has not been seen since apostolic times. I started this study talking about Belshazzar, seeing that handwriting on the wall. Friends, let's not be as Belshazzar when God's checks and balances judge us. Let us not be found wanting as he was. Let us be found faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much that you give us such free gifts. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Jesus, your Son. The gift of salvation. 
we would just give ourselves to Thee freely. Take those gifts freely. Father, You've given us principles to live by, that we may live a righteous and happy life. You've given us principles of organization for Your people as we gather together for service. You've given us principles to protect ourselves, to protect the church. You've given us these checks and balances. Father, we pray, first of all, that You forgive us where we failed to use these principles. And Father, we pray for courage to live these principles motivated by hearts of compassion and love. Father, please forgive us and help us to do these things. We may have a revival of primitive godliness to be organized by right principles to finish this work and hasten our Savior's soon return. Father, we thank you so much for your work. We thank you for this Sabbath day. Please continue to be with us. And in the coming days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name.